several of you figured out how to change your clock. Um, someone was saying about the first service, because by and large, most of the first service is it's a little bit of, a, of an older crowd than it is in the, the morning service, and someone asked if, if uh, they, because it was pretty sparse at the 8.30, and, and someone said, I don't, I don't think that uh, the older crowd uses their cell phones for uh, their alarm clocks, that they still have alarm clocks. How many of you still have an actual alarm clock next to your bed? It, it's, it's showing your age for some of you. Um, it's okay. She said, yeah, I, I have not used an alarm clock in years. It's always been my phone, and I just trust that my phone is going to tell me when to get up, and it's going to change time and, and, and all of that. But uh, welcome you're here. We're glad you're here. Hopefully you're awake. If I haven't met you, my name is Jesse, one of the pastors here, and we are in a series in the Gospel of John, and so I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, just raise your hand, and one of these lovely gentlemen here would love to give you a Bible to use this morning from John chapter 15. Um, And I just want to say, uh, Wayne mentioned that I was going to say something about March 24th. March 24th, that all, all day Saturday from 7 to 2, we have scheduled and planned a marriage uh, video conference that we're going to do um, with Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp is a guy that I deeply appreciate. And I don't know if you've ever asked the question as a married uh, couple um, or as someone who, who desires to get married. One of the things I actually share whenever I do premarital counseling, one of the first things I share is that marriage is supposed to be, it's intended by God to be a proclamation of the gospel. That when a man and a woman get married, your marriage is supposed to be an evangelical tool to the world. Uh, In fact, it comes from Ephesians 5, where it talks about uh, this great mystery in regards to submission uh, and loving your wife as Christ loves the church and all those things that are entailed in marriage. Uh, We're told that it's actually a proclamation of the gospel. And so good marriages proclaim the gospel. And if you've ever wondered, what does that really look like? This, this is a conference for that. So whether you're single and you want to get married, uh, so if you're single and you want to get married, uh, you should come. That way, hopefully, maybe you, you meet somebody, too, as well. Um, and, uh, and also to prepare you, to prepare you for marriage, but also for those of you who've been, been married or are married, no matter what length of time. So one of the things that we're hoping is that not only those of you who've been married for a long time, that you would come but you'd also be there to disciple other married couples, that you have something to offer. In fact, my wife was talking with a, a, a husband uh, whose wife wasn't there in the conversation, and, and she said, hey, you, you should come to the conference. And, and he said, he said, I don't need to go to the conference. I have a perfect marriage. Our marriage is perfect. We don't need to go. Our marriage is so awesome. My wife and I don't even fully understand why people need, even need conferences like that. And she said, well, okay, have you ever thought about maybe coming to help others have such a, an awesome marriage, and, or maybe to make your marriage even more awesome than it already is. And then on Saturday, I saw the wife, and I said, hey, your husband told me your marriage is perfect, and you don't need a conference like this. And she kind of went, oh. <laughs> it's always interesting. But you get the other side of the story, right? Here's what's really cool about what we've got planned for you. Number one, we're going to feed you breakfast in the morning. And when we announced this, someone came up to me a couple weeks ago. They said, listen, I don't want the couples to have to leave for lunch. I think it'd be great if the couples could mingle with each other. And so they're purchasing for us uh, full belly deli sandwiches. So you get to show up in the morning. We're going to take down your order, and uh, we're going to have your custom-made full belly 
deli sandwich for you uh, at, at lunchtime. So again, uh, I don't know what else I can do to make you come. Have a good marriage, proclaim the gospel, get a free sandwich, uh, get a free breakfast. She mini Christmas. What, was there more you want, Amber? And oh, there's childcare even. Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. I forgot. We, we have uh, a whole program lined out for the kids. Uh, and we're going to feed the kids that day. So from 7 to 2, we're going to take care of your kids for you. We're going to feed you. What more do you want? Do I have to pay you to come? <laughs> come. Um, <clears throat> and then lastly, we have a, a little over a $6,000 need for those that we're sending down to Mexico for the so trip. And so if you want to give to that, just uh, put in the memo of your check that it's for Mexico. We'll make sure for the missions team that we announced last week. That they'll go. And so this week, I, I get to preach uh, the message I prepared two weeks ago uh, because I woke up Sunday morning at 6.30 a.m. and uh, was near death. And um, I called Wayne at 6.30 and said, Wayne, can you pre- please preach for me? I can't, I can't make it. Uh, and so I get to preach this message this morning. Someone actually said, you were with us in spirit this morning. I said, no, I was like dead. Uh, I was nowhere near uh, able to preach. It's the first time I've ever had to do that. Uh, and so um, John 15, uh, if you remember, we, uh, we as a church, we have a custom where we stand during the reading of Scripture uh, because we honor it and we, we love it. It's God's speech to us. And we're going to read from John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard, for all I have, for all that I have heard from, from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. This is the word of the Lord. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. There's two words this morning that are important to the message. The title of the message is friend or foe. Uh, And the two words this morning that are important are the word friend Uh, which you see in the text where Jesus says, no longer do I call you a servant, I call you my friend. Uh, And then the second word is the word world. And the world being friendship with the world. Jesus makes it really clear. He's actually kind of made it pretty clear throughout the entire gospel of John that you're either going to be part of who Jesus is, you're with him 
or you were against him. It has been said in apologetics courses or, or uh, within Christianity that, that there is no in-between, that you can't have both, and that's kind of the contrast and tension we're going to deal with this morning. How many of you would say that at some point in your life you've had a best friend? Anybody? A few of you? Friendship's kind of like, it's a hard thing. To have a good friend, to be uh, friends with someone, to be open with them. As a pastor, actually, it's been said of, of pastors that pastors are very lonely, that they don't have a lot of friends because usually there's uh, a look, looking towards the pastor for discipleship or for growth or expecting them to be something that they're not, to be perfect or what have you. But friendship in the world is difficult. And yet Jesus uses this word. He says, you're, you're no longer a friend. Or, I'm sorry, you're no longer a servant. You're, you're a friend. And then he goes off in verse 18, and he talks about this idea of the world, uh, that the world should hate you. And so, again, there's all of these kind of contrasts in regards to either we are for Jesus and we're friends with Jesus, or we're friends with the world, but we can't have both. We can't be both a friend of Jesus and a friend of the world. Now, the word world within the Bible doesn't mean that you don't love people. You do love people. But this word world within Scripture is, is used as the fallen world system that exists since uh, the fall of mankind. That the world, the world has a system that it is preaching something to you. I actually shared with the first service, that, and I think it's, it's something to be shared here as well, that, that I kind of look at the way society is in our, our celebrity culture. I kind of look at it as, as just a, a bigger kind of like high school. Like high school never ended. And what I mean by that is that I remember in high school, like if there was like a group that was kind of cool and they started, they started doing something, whatever that something was, it became the trendy thing. It became the cool thing. And if you weren't doing that trendy, cool thing, well, you weren't part of the crowd and you were lame or, or you were a geek or what have you. Uh, and, and, and the reality of it was that it almost like in high school, like nobody's really thinking for themselves. They're all just kind of doing what everyone else is doing. So I remember in high school, for instance, one of the things that really took off in, in uh, 1996, which is around the time I was in high school, by the way, was cloves. That was like the cool thing to do, was to smoke cloves, which for, I look back and think, it's so dumb. It's so stupid. But that was the cool thing, man. Like, look, man, I'm smoking a clove. And I go, oh, wow, that's cool. I never did it, so yay for me. And, uh, and now, though, in, in, in our media-driven culture, it's the same way. There's this system. It's like a few elites or, or a few people stand up on their soapbox and they start talking about whatever cultural issue that they want to talk about. And then everyone's talking about those things to the point where it actually starts to influence the church as well. I read a great article this week. It was a short article. And the title of the article was, was Four Reasons to Leave Your Church. And one of the reasons that was on the list, which I thought was great, was one of the reasons you should leave your church is when it becomes a place that it only speaks of social justice and not the gospel. Because what's happening within churches today is there is such a kick to make sure that we're standing up for the minority and to be standing up for those who have been, uh, been crushed and pushed down that, that, in essence, what happens is the word of God gets neglected. Jesus gets neglected. Because we're, we're no longer doing what God called us to do, which is to make disciples and to preach the word of God, we're, no, we're, we're just falling into the system of the world. You know what stinks about the idea of social justice within America and where it's at today is one minute it's, it's stand up for the African-American, which we should. 
There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Amen? We, we love our African-American brothers and sisters. But then what happens is, is the voice is so strong towards that. What happens uh, with those who are of our Hispanic descent? Well, they're not being talked about. Or, or, or now the big thing is, is we've, we've got to make sure we're standing up for women's rights. All of those things are good. But what happens is no different than high school. It's just the flavor of the week. And until we're bored of that, we'll move on to something else. And then we'll move on to something else. Instead of where, where Jesus, I think, would tell us, stick with what you need to stick with. Christ came for all. He came for women. He came for children. He came for men. He came for the white, the black, the Asian, the poor, the rich. Every single person within the gospel is in desperate need of salvation. It's the most equal thing that you can say. There, there is nothing more egalitarian, no, nothing more equal than you can say than humanity has a problem. The problem is sin, and every single one of us need Jesus Christ to solve that issue. And until we put Jesus where he belongs, and the center of the message, and the center of the word of God, then we'll never find the equality that we're desperately longing for. And so this world, the world, Jesus says time and time again, you can't be friendship with the world. James 4.4 4 is one of the best verses in this regard. You adulterous people, it says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, Jesus is sharing in consciousness, I'm your friend and the world should hate you. He's making a stark contrast. You should look different than the rest of the world. You shouldn't be beating the same drum. And if, if the church looks like the rest of the world, and if a Christian looks like the rest of the world, we're not friends with Jesus. Jesus makes it clear. There should be a stark contrast to the way that we talk, to the way that we live, to the things that, that we do, we should be a different type of people. In fact, the Bible actually says that we are aliens and sojourners. Right? We, we should have a, a deep love, church, a deep love for those who are not American, those who, who are looking for a home, those who, who are looking for a place. Why? Because we're aliens. We don't belong here. So I get really frustrated with, with sometimes the, the worship of, of the fact that we are from the United States of America. We should be thankful that we live in the United States of America. We should be. But our identity isn't American. Our identity is not U.S. citizen. Your identity is the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You've been called to be an ambassador, not for the United States, and not for the interests of the United States. You've been called to be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. You represent the interests of Jesus Christ. And if you don't represent the interests of Jesus Christ, how can you say that you're a friend of Jesus Christ? You cannot be friends with the world. <clears throat> so the world should have, as Jesus says, the world should hate you as it has hated him. This system, you should be rubbing the system the wrong way, right? You, you, there are certain things that your secular friends should feel really uncomfortable inviting you to them. Right? I, 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 I've grown up 
uh, as a Christian in high school, my friends at a certain point in time in high school stopped inviting me to their parties. I remember, this is a true story. Even though I walked away from the Lord for a period of time, I was on fire for Jesus in high school. And I remember I was, I was, in a, I was at a party. I got invited to a party. I think it was the last party I was ever invited to. And I had my friend, he was, I played football with him, he was my best friend, he was one of my neighbors, and I remember he lit up one of his clothes and he started drinking alcohol, and I went up to him and I started telling him about Jesus Christ. And I told him that he wasn't being who he was supposed to be, I told him that his personality was, was being warped by the decisions that he was making, and I went into a back room with him and I presented the gospel to him. And I remember he fell down on his knees and he started bawling and he accepted Christ as his savior that night. Last party I was ever invited to. <laughs> Even today, I have friends that, that I'm, like, for instance, my 20-year high school reunion was just this last year. Do you know I was not invited to the uh, little bar that all my other friends were invited to? Because you don't invite pastors to, you know, the bar to go hang out and get drunk and reminisce about all the stupid things you did. It just... The world will say, there's something, I don't know what it is about that guy, but I don't really want to hang out with him. Right? Do, how many of you have been a good witness to some degree, and you've been around those friends, and, and uh, they, they, uh, they cuss around you, and then all of a sudden they look at you, and they go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As if, like, that's the worst thing they've ever done, right? I was looking, I was like, you, you, you don't got to say sorry to me. You didn't sin against me, dude. You let them know, like, like God's still here. You, the reason is when you're a Christian, there is a presence. There should be a presence about you. You're a friend of Jesus. And when you're in that room, people, people smell it. And they feel awkward around you. And they don't know why. You're a nice enough guy. You're a nice enough gal. There's just something about them that... Uh, I don't know if I want them around me. The world should hate you, should despise you to a degree because you're, you've made this encounter with God that, that makes you love more deeply. It, it makes it so you don't fit in. And Jesus says it. He says it here. They don't know me. Verse 21. They'll do these things on the account of my name because they don't know him who sent me. The world should hate us because they don't know God and they should also hate us because our love is not a superficial, materialistic love like the rest of the world. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh, the world, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then Romans takes this, takes this even deeper in regards to the system of the world in chapter 1, verse 23, and it says, and they exchange the glory, the world, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's the world. That's the picture of the system of the world that Jesus is saying, you can't be friends with the world. We don't have cable television in my home. And on occasion, we uh, will watch Hulu, and on occasion, Hulu has commercials. It's one of the only times that my kids are exposed to commercials. Praise God. And when my kids say, why are they showing us this? Because they don't see them. It's not normal to them. Why do you see this? And I say, they're trying to sell you something. What are they trying to sell me? Unhappiness. <laughs> and my kids say, why are they trying to sell us unhappiness? I say, because they're trying to make you think you need that to be happy. You can't go anywhere without advertisements. If you don't believe me, don't do it now because you should be paying attention. But go to Amazon, shop for something on Amazon, and then go back to your Facebook account. And a little while later, as you're scrolling, there's the thing you were shopping for on Amazon. You're like, well, this is, this is creepy. This is a little weird. And it's a lifestyle. right? We're being sold a lifestyle. Buy this and make yourselves happy. Buy this and you'll be satisfied. Do you know why one, one of the reasons that the Kardashians are such a, such a cultural phenomenon? Because they represent everything that the world wants and desires. I want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. I want to be well-known. And I don't, have to want to, I don't want to work for it. I don't actually want to have any real talent other than just looking beautiful. I'm just a good-looking person. Look at me. Look at all the things I have. Look at all the things I possess. Right? Every single one of those girls, they marry a rap star because why not? They, they represent all of the materialism, all of the wealth, all that you can have. If you want it, it's yours. You want, you want to be the center of attention? You're the center of attention. You want the fast, cool-looking car? You can get the fast, cool-looking car. You want all the right, cool, hip clothes? You got the hip clothes. You want to be invited to all the hip parties? You can go to all the hip parties. What kind of talent do I need? Nothing. Just look beautiful, babe. And so we watch, and, we, and the reason is because inside we want that. Or one of the things that we say, one of the realities that we have to understand as human beings is no one person in society is worship neutral. Everybody worships something. There's no such thing as an atheist. There isn't. So it says, I don't believe in God. That's fine. You may not believe in God, but you still worship a God. Whatever that God may be, and you put your energy into that, and you put your time into that, and you're hoping that that God will perform for you. At the very least, not that it will do something for you, but it will give you the emotional fulfillment that you're hoping and desiring for. Why is it that you can get men who will work for 80 hours a week and not spend time with their families and neglect their relationships because they're hoping at the end of the day that they'll leave something behind and they'll be remembered? Nobody wants to pass away and not be remembered. I'm sure almost everyone in this room at some point has thought, what will your memorial service be like? Who will show up? 
What will they say about you? One thing I've noticed after doing several memorial services is memorial services always reflect the person. If they weren't in relationship, if they weren't in community, the memorial service shows it. If they were jerks, the memorial service shows it. If they're Billy Graham, the memorial service shows it. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that we're living for? What kind of relationship do I have with Jesus? What kind of relationship do you have with the world? Do not love the world and do not be friends of the world. There's two reasons why. One is love for the world always pushes out love for the Father. Love for the world pushes out love for the Father. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the world pushes out the love of the Father. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the things that you, you don't have, that you want, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, that means being prideful in your goods and in that which you possess, says it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Number one, the love, the love of the world pushes out the love of the Father. Number two, you don't love the world because the world is fading. John 2, 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't love the things of the world and love Jesus. And the reality of not loving the world is understanding that everything in the world is actually fading away. My wife and I, we, again, this idea of materialism, we, we, we sometimes attach ourselves to that which we own. And one of the things, especially in the United States, that we attach ourselves to and our identity to is our vehicles. What we drive says something about us. So several years ago, we realized after having four kids uh, that uh, we had a Subaru, a Subaru WRX. Uh, you can't fit six people in that. So we decided to go purchase another vehicle. And one of the things that we made sure we were not going to buy was a minivan. Because the kind of car you drive says something about you. I'm not driving a minivan. So we bought a Honda Pilot, which, you know, isn't like the coolest car out there, but it's not a minivan. And we bought that thing used, about 20-something thousand miles on it because we never try to buy brand new. Try to take care of it. We got leather seats and everything. Four kids later, that vehicle to 2011 is hammered. It's seen better days. That vehicle is fading. There's nothing quite like, I remember, there's nothing quite like buying a brand new car. One of the very first cars I bought with my own money, it was a 2000. Uh, Chevrolet Camaro, cherry red, T-tops, man, I felt so cool in that car. It, it, yeah, police officer red, yeah. And I did get pulled over several times in San Diego in that car, loved that car. Take the tops off down in San Diego, blast the music, I got pulled over in Ocean Beach one time because uh, of a noise ordinance uh, law I was breaking, supposedly. And, and man, you get that car brand new, smelled good. It just, ugh. But it doesn't take long for a new car to not smell new anymore. It doesn't take long for your iPhone or your new Droid or your Google Pixel or whatever it is that you use. You've got that new thing. It's shiny. It's got a big screen on it. And then after a while, you know, you're letting your kid run around with it. And it's, it's God knows where it's been after that. 
You don't care anymore. It doesn't take long for the new and the shiny to become no longer new and shiny. The world's fading. One pastor says, nobody buys stock in a company that is sure to go bankrupt. Nobody sets up a house on a sinking ship. No reasonable person would lay up treasure where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Would they? The world is passing away. And to set your heart on it is only asking for heartache and misery in the end. What do you set your heart on? What do you long for? What do you yearn for? And, and see, I know because you're, you are someone who lives in the United States of America, we still buy into this materialistic ideology that will somehow make us happy. That if we just have the right stuff, if the house is bigger, if the car is nicer, if the wallet looks a little thicker, if my credit score is at the right place. And the interesting thing about credit is credit just gets you more debt. Can't wait to get that 800 score. Why? So you can go more in debt. So you can pay more things off. How many of you realize this? It's been true in my life for sure. As soon as you get a raise, do you get more money in your savings account or does your expenses go up magically? It's like magic. I got a $200 raise this month. Sweet. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to go buy something. It just always goes up. Because we're never satisfied. It, 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 never, it never brings contentment. The world doesn't bring contentment. And so Jesus is encouraging us to be friends. In his final moments, he's, he's encouraging his disciples. They're, they're about to go through something. They're about to say goodbye to the Christ, to the Messiah, the one they've been walking with. So Jesus is taking these final moments in the last several hours of his life to encourage them, to understand what it's going to be like to carry on the message of Jesus Christ. He's letting them know that, that a day is coming. I'm not going to be with you. You're not going to see me. You're going to have to wait to see me again. But, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You've, you've got to understand I'm going to be with you. And so we come to this place, these, these markers of what it is to be friends with Jesus. And Jesus shares them with us. The first marker is friends of Jesus. I'm sorry, friends of Jesus are friends of other friends of Jesus. Have you ever, C.S. Lewis has this great quote, if I can find it in here. Where did I put it? Right here. Friendship, he says, C.S. Lewis says, is born at the moment when one person says to one another, what? You too? I thought no one that but myself. Right within the church, we have the one thing that needs to unify us together. You're a sinner? You too? You're saved by grace? You too? Well, I thought I was the only one. You're not the only one. Right? Isn't the church the one place that should be the most diverse? Where a rich person can hang out with a poor person? Where somebody who, who like me, has this affinity for, for football and sports and athletics can hang out with someone like Brad Beers, who's got an affinity for nothing athletic? Only in this room can we be friends. Because <laughs> the only thing we have in common, really, in many ways, the one thing we have in common is this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I've told people this before, and it does not mean, this is not, I don't mean this in the bad way at all whatsoever. I mean it in the best way possible. My wife and I have very little in common. 
the one thing that we share is a passion for Christ and a passion for ministry. It's not like my wife and I go out and, and we share all the same thing. In fact, we're not. We're totally different. She's an extrovert. She wants to be with people all the time. Sometimes I just want to like sit on the couch and just enjoy myself and just be alone. She always wants to go do adventures. One time she dragged me in the middle of winter to go sleep on a boat in the San Francisco Bay. And by boat, I mean like, like little boat, like little teeny boat. And she thought it was the best anniversary gift that we could possibly imagine. It wasn't. It was the middle of winter, and this thing, this thing, it, was, it, was, it, it had two temperatures, negative 50 and 350 degrees Celsius. There was only two temperatures in there. And that's my wife. Let's go do something crazy. What do you want to do? Let's watch a movie. We have very little in common, but what we do share in common is this relationship with Jesus Christ, a friendship with God. I tell couples all the time, if that's all you have, that's all you need. And seriously, like, like, like one of the things that, that we get lost in our culture is, well, marriage is for my happiness. No, it isn't. It's for your holiness. You don't need to have a bunch of things in common with your wife. You don't need to have a bunch of things in common with your husband. What you need in common is Jesus. And it'll work. You need to practice lots of forgiveness, lots of grace, lots of mercy, lots of compassion, lots of understanding, lots of listening. Sometimes you're going to get what they're saying. Most of the time you're going to go, love you anyway. Love you anyway. And you just live life together knowing that it is God that, that brings us together. Tim Keller says, says about friendship, that understanding friendship is understanding the community in which God always existed. He says friendship was never created. There was never a time in which friendship was not, because from all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were knowing and loving and delighting in each other. They were planning and taking, they were planning and talking and communicating with each other from before time began. So you, you need friendship with someone because you were made in the image of God. And this friendship enjoys love and friendship with other Christians. But in addition to that, one of the other markers of friendship is friends obey Jesus. He just said it in the text. He says, verse 14 of chapter 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Ever say command you? Ever say obedience? Whoa. We might need to emphasize obedience a little more here this morning. Everyone say obedience. obedience. See, it's not a very fun like thing, is it? But the reality is, is that those who know Jesus, they're not in rebellion with Jesus. They're in partnership with him. We were at a conference a couple weeks ago, and this pastor was telling a story. And he said he and, a, he and his youth pastor on occasion would try to come up with some kind of radical obedient thing they could do for the Lord. And on this particular conversation, he and his youth pastor decided to do a 24-hour period of time where they would pray, with, uh, pray to God and pray with each other. 24 hours. And he said his youth pastor was always up for anything. Yeah, let's do it. And he said there was another guy, an older guy, older, on, older in life, and he was part of the conversation. And they asked him, they said, you want to do it? And him being a little older in life, he, he kind of looked, and you could tell he wasn't very excited, definitely not as excited as the youth pastor to stay up for 24 hours and pray. But somehow they kind of, you know, guilted him into it. And they spent 24 hours praying. And at the end of the 24 hours of praying, after 24 hours, 
of staying awake and talking to God. The pastor got up and said, all right, amen. I'm going to go take a shower. And the old man said, what? What do you mean you're going to go take a shower? Well, I've been up all night. I'm tired. I'm going to take a shower, get a little bit of rest. We've been praying all night. He goes, you can't leave. And he goes, why can't I leave? He goes, nothing happened. We've just prayed for 24 hours and nothing happened. And the pastor looked at him and said, that's not the point. The point is he's worthy. You see, in regards to Jesus and being obedient to Jesus, it's not about getting Jesus to do something. It's about the fact that he's your friend, the only friend who died for your sin. It's the fact that Jesus is worthy of our obedience. Irregardless of what happens and what doesn't happen, he's worthy to make Jesus your friend is to say, man, God, I, I'm going to be willing to do the things that the world isn't willing to do. Or when was the last time you sacrificed a vacation to serve the Lord? When was the last time you said no to going skiing to serve Jesus? When was the last time you said, I'm not going to buy a coffee for the rest of this month because I want to make sure that I give this money to something that goes towards kingdom worth? Right, if we don't do something different with our time, something different with our money, something different with our energy and our passion, we're no different than the rest of the world. We're not a friend with Jesus. And one of the things we, I, one of the things that Wayne or myself never have to convince you to do is to go out and be adventurous in Truckee, California, do we? I mean, after all, Truckee is base camp to a. I think I don't even know if it's bigger life. Is it? Is it just big life? Hey, man, you can have a big life. And then you start looking at Instagram and you start looking at all the things that, that the culture is telling you about what it's like to have a big life, what it's like to have the bigger life. What does that look like in Truckee, California? It looks like skiing. It looks like mountain climbing. It looks like, man, be adventurous. Get out there and just do it, as Nike says, right? Because we're selling you a lifestyle. You're not going to be happy unless you get out and do something. You're not going to be happy unless, I mean, that's why we're here. Many of you have moved to Tahoe for the Tahoe lifestyle, right, where you can have Tahoe time. You can show up 30 minutes late. Nobody cares except for Pastor Jesse. He's a little bothered by it, but hey. <laughs> right, you, 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 I don't have to convince you to do that, but what I do have to convince people within the Truckee community, even Christians, is to live sacrificially for the worthiness of Jesus Christ to do more for the kingdom of God, right? Well, you shouldn't be ashamed to share the gospel. I found myself uh, not that long ago sitting down at, at dinner time at a, some public restaurant wondering, well, I don't know if I want to pray uh, here in public because maybe someone will think I'm a weirdo. And I thought, well, I'm the pastor of the church. I might want to pray and look like a weirdo. And then maybe someone will come up to me and say, wait a minute, you're a Christian or start a conversation. I should not be ashamed. You should not be ashamed for people to know that you are a Christian and a friend of Jesus Christ. People should know that about you. And if they don't know that about you, shame on you. Shame on us for hiding in the dark. When the Bible says that the light on the hill, you don't hide it. Don't put it under a basket. Let it shine. Let people know that Jesus is worthy. Because Jesus also says, he says, I call you my friends because, because servants don't know what the master's doing. 
this is, I don't think I have a number three here, so you have to forgive me. I messed up on my notes, but friends know Jesus. There's this relationship. Wayne taught it a couple weeks ago, the vine, that we're part of the vine. We, we know him. We're intimacy uh, with Christ. We have intimacy with him. This pastor a few weeks ago said that Jesus has billions of Facebook friends, but very few face-to-face friends. Right? If you were to look up Jesus' fan page, you might even be able to do it now. You'll probably see a lot of thumbs up. But how many of those people spend time in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? The way this pastor said it, in addition to that, he said, so many of us as Christians have made a habit to seek Jesus' hands, but not his face. Do something for me, God. God, would you do something for me? That's paganism. That's not a gospel of grace. See, Christianity is unique in any other way because what we are taught is that Jesus came on our behalf. He pursued after us. He ran after us. He saved us. Not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything we can do, but because of everything he's done. See, see the difference in Christianity here is Christianity is not about good advice. Good advice tells you what must be done. Good news tells you what has been done. Ladies and gentlemen, everything that has been needed for your salvation, everything that has been needed for your sanctification has been given to you by the good Father above. Isn't that good news? You're not here to earn anything, to get anything from somebody. You're here to celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ. And lastly, his friends understand that they have been elected to produce fruit. He just said it. He says, I chose you that you, that your fruit would abide, that it would last. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus is telling us now that, that he, has, he has saved us and he has saved us for a purpose. Every single one of you have something to do for the Lord. Every single one of you. You know when you'll know that there's no longer anything for you to do for the Lord? He'll take you home. You'll have that memorial service we were talking about. Until then, until God Almighty calls you home, there is work for you and I to do. And the encouragement for us as a church this morning is we're friends with Jesus Christ is to see that he has chosen us to actually go and do something for Jesus Christ. thinking of our hot tub guy here. He is so on fire to share the gospel. He brought two two men to the concert on Saturday who don't know Jesus that are, that play uh, that play music with Bob. Two of them. One of them, this is a true story. Forgive me for telling it, Bob. Bob calls me and says he installs hot tubs and he says, "Hey, I, I got my buddy a a hot tub for him. He doesn't know Jesus, so I need you to come over on Friday, and I need you to help me get this hot tub in place. So what do you mean you need to get Well, he's got this real tall porch, and and, uh, he bought a hand crank from uh, Truckee Rents, and we need to get this thing up there. You got to help because he doesn't know Jesus. (laughs) So I show up and the hand crank doesn't have the stabilizer bars to it. 
and this hot tub weighs 800 pounds. And all I could see in my mind was one of us was going to die that day. <laughs> Hopefully it was either a Christian or this man accepted Jesus before he got squished. <laughs> and it was the sketchiest thing that I've been a part of in a long time. <laughs> I am not kidding you. I'm pretty sure that Bob's intent was, we'll scare the bejeebus out of this guy. And Jesse will share the gospel, and before he dies, he'll get saved. And before he has a chance to walk away from God, well, we'll kill him. <laughs> it was a blessing to see. So we're at the end of the thing, of, uh, you know, after dying. And, and, uh, and, man, you could just smell the bait and switch. You know, we're standing on top of the deck. Next thing you know, Bob goes, yeah, Jesse's my pastor. He wants you to come to our church. And I went, ha! <laughs> Yeah, you should come sometime. And he says to me, he looks at me, he goes, well, you know, I'm an atheist. That's okay. You should come anyway. And he was at church on Saturday. And I think he's, he's still trying to work on him, still praying for him. And, and, and the reason I share that is because, see, at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be saying to yourself, I wish I would have caught more, more trails, more powder up on the hill. You're, you're going to be saying things like, I wish I would have walked with Jesus more closely and lived for Christ and his glory. You're going to want to know that the way that you lived your life echoed in eternity. Even if someone doesn't come to Christ, that's not our job. It just says in the text, I chose you. I came after you. I grabbed you. Your job is to give God glory by opening your mouth. Do you know that the gospel is called good news? And good news is not just loving people. It has to be proclaimed. The gospel has to be articulated. You're friends with the kingdom of God. You're friends with God himself. That, that should manifest itself into, into talking. I, I remember when I first was falling in love with Allie, man, it was like I, I couldn't stop talking about her. This, this girl who, who moved my heart. How can I stop talking about this God who, who takes a, a young a young man like myself saves me from a home of drugs and alcohol, calls me into the ministry, and gives me a better life than I could ever think or imagine. He's given me four beautiful kids and a beautiful church and a beautiful community. How can you not talk about the God who has washed you clean of your filth and your mire and your sin and your mistakes and your shame? How can you not talk about this God who has called you to a life of purpose? We should be sharing it with our coworkers. We should be sharing it with our clients. We should be sharing it with our moms and our dads and our brothers and our sisters and to the point where they just stop inviting us to the holiday because they just can't hear about Jesus anymore. This world needs the good news. Truckee doesn't need to be the base camp to a bigger life. Truckee needs to be the base camp to salvation. Seer Bible Church can be that place, a place of hope, a place of redemption, a place that calls men out of their old way of living, and that's probably some of you this morning, to put away your sin and to stop living according to the world and being friends with the world and looking like the world and starting to look more like Jesus. Dedicate yourself to loving your wife in a way that God has called you to love her. Dedicate yourself to forgiving your husband because, gosh, he needs it. Dedicate yourself to giving your kids a lot of grace because we all know none of our children are perfect. 
Dedicate yourself to making disciples, which means that you actually are purposeful about pouring in the life of Christ into other people. That you look at that young child and you smile at him and you let him know that church is a place where people are friendly and kind and that they don't look at kids as a bother. Because that's part of the cultural narrative as well. Don't have kids, get married later. And if you have kids, just have one. Because after all, you're selfish and that's all you can really deal with. And maybe you can't have children. That's okay. My child needs, uh, needs some discipleship in addition to what I'm giving them. This is why we have Awana. It's why we have youth group. It's why we provide free opportunities because, because he's worthy, is he not? He's worthy. And, and I know for me, I don't want to live in a way that shows he's not worthy. I don't want our church to act as if he's not worthy, to treat him flippantly. I want more from Christ. And I know if I really am going to get more for him, I have to give him more of myself. Because he's already given me everything that pertains to godliness. He's given me everything I need to be fruitful. The only thing that he doesn't have all the time is my full attention. And even in that, I'm going to be imperfect, and you're going to be imperfect. But we still get up and we say, okay, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Show me how to walk with you. Show me how to share my faith with others. Show me how to disciple children, Lord. Tell me how I can be, live more sacrificial, because after all, I'm to pick up my cross every single day. Day. Church, I, I'm desperate in my own heart, and I'm desperate for yours too, that we would live for God in a way that is just life-transforming. I want to see an awakening in our church. I want to see an awakening in Truckee, California. I do not want to be mundane, do you? I don't want to be just the boring, same old, cliche, garbage. I want to see Jesus face to face. And I want his presence to change me. And I want to do that together as a family. I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it together. Because it's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we... <clears throat> We come before you admitting that we fall terribly short in so many ways. Lord, I confess to you that there is a part of me that, that wants to manipulate the hearts in the room to be what you want them to be. And I know, God, that that is an impossibility. It has to be something that you produce. And so, Lord, I, I present myself as an example first before you and say, Lord, would you have your way in my own heart? I have to be concerned not with everybody else's faith. I have to be concerned with my own. And so I come to you, Lord, as a child of God, and I ask for your forgiveness for the ways that I don't live for you. I ask for your forgiveness for the ways that I don't love you and for the ways that I'm not sacrificial and for the ways that I'm selfish. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness for the ways that I act as if you're not there, Lord. That I forget that you are always in our presence, Lord. Forgive me. And Lord, I pray for more of your Holy Spirit, that great gift that you have given us before you ascended into heaven to bring to remembrance that which you've taught us, 
Lord, to convict us of sin. And I, and I just pray, Lord, for more of that spirit to overtake me and to consume me, that I would live for you, that I would speak for you, that I would love for you, Lord, on, on your behalf to show that you are worthy and that you're glorious and you're beautiful. And for however you choose to use me, Lord, I just say thank you. And I pray, Lord, that my example, Lord, would to some degree inspire and encourage others to present themselves to you as their God, as their maker. And, Lord, that that they would uh, find you beautiful and enjoyable. Please, Lord, would you use our church? We don't deserve it. We're not perfect. But would you use our church, Lord, to change Truckee? That it wouldn't be full of consumerism and just this bigger life now kind of mentality, Lord. But would you use us, Lord, to bring people to you? Lord, the wealthy, the poor, the Hispanic, the neighbors that are next to us, Lord. Would you use us to um, to make Truckee a brighter place? God, would you would you do a work that supersedes what man can do alone that when it's all said and done whatever that looks like we would look back and say not not because of man but because of God and we trust you for that as we sing to you Lord may we sing in such a way that just shows you our love and gratitude thank you for it in Jesus name amen friends I'm going to share a song with you this morning and the word reckless many times can be be taken as a, a negative. And in this particular song, it, it refers to the Father. It refers to his love. It refers to um, even a passage coming out of Luke 15. It 